Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to Your Neighbor, a Priest, a podcast featuring commentary and theological reflection on local news and events in Southwest Washington and the larger themes that impact all of us as we wrestle with the challenges of life, and in particular American life, in the 21st century. I'm Father Nick Mather, Rector of St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Longview, Washington. I am your neighbor, and I am a priest. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to welcome back Pastor Dexter Carney for a fun conversation on the intersections of science fiction and fantasy pop culture and Christianity. We're just a couple of geeks for Christ, and we hope to convince you to join us in our fandom as we explore three themes that are common in science fiction and fantasy genre work that intersect with our own identity as Christians. Dexter, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. So today, we're going to approach our conversation a little differently than we've done it in previous episodes of the podcast. So together, Dexter and I have agreed upon three overarching themes that are prevalent, especially in science fiction and fantasy genre work. And we've prepared examples um, of different stories, whether they be movies or television or even books or games that explore those themes and teach us something about our own call as Christians in this world. So the first theme we're going to start with is, um, I think, really especially prominent in science fiction, um, but I think is a good theme to start our conversation with because it helps establish uh, ground rules in a lot of science fiction that then propel us into the other themes we're going to talk about today. And that's the theme of, um, of wrestling with uh, what it means to be human, to exist. And I think this is an important theme because it uh, helps us wrestle with ethical questions. Um, and I think ethical questions that we're hurtling towards in our own continued development of technology and connection capabilities. But it's also an ancient question that we've grappled with for millennia. And really much of Christianity is focused on what it means to exist in this creation and how that understanding of existence should direct us in our relationships with this creation. So I'm gonna open the floor and I'll invite Dexter to share um, an example and some learnings that he has from uh, science fiction or fantasy on this particular theme. Yeah, thanks, Nick. I really love this theme, and this might be, of all of the themes we're going to talk about today, the one I gravitate to the most, especially when reading or watching fantasy or science fiction. Um, for me, uh, Nick said this, this is an ancient practice, this idea of storytelling. Um, it's a, it's a Christian practice. It's a human practice. Our whole old Testament comes from storytelling. Um, it's about how we relate and understand. Um, and they define who we are in many ways, the stories we tell about ourselves. You think about the ancient myths of Greek or Roman or Egyptian. You think of the King Arthur stories for England um, and there's so many more out there. They help define who we are. 
Um, and they help us sort of imagine our best and our worst selves. So I love this question of what does it mean to be human? And when, when I saw this theme, my first thought was Battlestar Galactica. Um, I, I haven't seen the older series. I've only seen the newer series. Um, but the whole point of this, and I'm going to have some spoilers in here, but it's over 50 years old. So at least the original is. So I don't feel too bad about that. The premise is there's these humans that have been um, uh, are, are, are out in space. Sort of their homeworld has been destroyed by these uh, Cylons, these robots. Um, but the farther they get into it, the farther they realize that the Cylons look like humans and that the Cylons have sort of infiltrated the human culture and they can't figure out who is who. And even some of the Cylons can't tell if they're human or if they're robot. So the whole premise is, you know, what makes us human? What makes us special? What makes us different? Is it our choices? Is it our anatomy? Is it ability to love? Um, and they're all fighting and they're arguing and they're killing each other over this um, because there's a lot of fear of the unknown in there as well. Um, but as it comes to the end and the conclusion of the series, we find out that the whole time they were actually all a mix. And it actually ends with them getting stranded on planet Earth 10,000 years ago and becoming humanity as we know it today. Um, so it's this whole question of what actually makes you human. What were you thinking about this category? What, what, what stories popped to your mind? So I have one episode of a TV show in particular mm -hmm. that made a profound impact on me in terms of this conversation of what it means to be human and to, to exist. And when I, when I think of this question, I, I'm drawn to science fiction stories in particular that are near future. Mm -hmm. um, and so the one episode in particular that I'm really drawn to is Black Mirror Season 2, Episode 1, Be Right Back. Um, and the premise of the story is a young couple uh, moves to a new home, uh, and the husband goes to return their moving van uh, and is killed in a car accident. Mm -hmm. um, and she, the, the wife, surviving spouse, uh, learns that there's this service where you can download someone's identity from all of their online postings, emails, social media, all those different kinds of things uh, into a Android suit that looks exactly like that person. Uh, and so the rest of the episode wrestles with this conversation on what is the reality of this Android suit and what is, and really it's a conversation on grief. Mm. Um, yeah. In the sense of um, what does our existence mean? And if we can um, keep someone's uh, identity, even if it's a, a faux identity, should we? Um, does, mm. Does that person continue to exist? Um, and I think, uh, you know, in, in the conversation of, of that episode, the, 
the ending of it um, has a really interesting twist um, and uh, inspired has, has inspired a lot of introspection and conversation online. And I don't want to give the twist away here in this episode in case people haven't seen it. Um, but I, I think it it posits this question of where is that line of existence versus remembrance and that line of existence in terms of what does it mean to actually live and to continue to live. Um, so I think that's a really powerful um, story that, that wrestles with this question. And from that, there's a new show that's come out as well um, about this question of existence in terms of post-life existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the show Upload. Uh, which is on Amazon. Uh, And in that show, um, as someone is dying, their consciousness can be uploaded to a eternal computer simulated afterlife. Um, And it's a really interesting concept because people who are still physically alive in the quote unquote real world can actually physically in some way interact with those who are in this uploaded afterlife. Um, so it's, it's almost as if the person hasn't died and yet in many ways they have. Um, so that series as well posits this really interesting question of what it means to be human, to exist, to develop relationships, to develop connections with one another um, and what it means to have connection to another person. Um, and so a lot of the, the interesting pieces of that story deal with when we, when we ask that question of what it means to exist, do we mean physical existence? Do we mean relational connection? Um, is our consciousness all that matters? Um, so it's an interesting grappling with that. And I think when we start to connect this sense of Christianity in with this, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously a part of our Christian understanding is what we talk about in terms of afterlife, what comes next after this life. Um, and I think science fiction wrestles with those questions, um, not necessarily from a faith perspective, but gives us these windows into how grief and how the consideration of what it means to exit from this physical life um, might look like. Yeah. In scripture, we see in Genesis and the creation stories, um, uh, especially in Genesis 2, we see God creating humanity out of the earth, out of the Adama, the mud, the earth, the dirt, and then breathing God's spirit, the Ruach, into that humanity. And this idea, um, this ancient Jewish belief that there's this mixture of, um, of, of earthiness and spiritualness that's combined. And I think science fiction looks into those questions especially around uh, the consciousness and the transfer of that around the uh, life and death. Um, Because I think one, one boundary that science fiction always pushes is, is death essential to being human? Mm -hmm. And um, 
it's just, it's a fascinating question, love, because what does it mean to live forever? What does it mean to be everlasting or eternal? Um, well, and, and my favorite uh, fantasy series, The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien's world has these elves who are eternal, um, but then they have humanity who has death. And if, you, if you're a big nerd like me and you read the Cimmerillion, which is his whole backstory of the Middle Earth um, world, uh, there's this idea that death is actually a gift um, because it, it means that our lives have meaning, that our lives have um, challenges and struggles that we actually push and strive for more, that we're not content or stuck, but that we actually um, feel that purpose because we know that there's a timeline. Um, and I think Tolkien especially is coming at it from a Catholic point, faith uh, point of view, but it's just a fascinating discussion um, regarding what does death mean? Is it essential to be human to die? Uh, what does that mean? And then especially as you come into the afterlife, it brings in all sorts of uh, Christian theologies that have changed over time of what that looks like or means. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to put a plug in for one more show for people to look at that wrestles with this question of, of eternal life versus death. And that's the show Altered Carbon. And the first season in particular has an underlying current about that uh, conversation. And it's also a, a book as well. Um, mm. It's one of those books that's become a TV show. Um, so direct people towards that for a continuation of that conversation. Um, the world of the church and faith uh, is actually uh, present in that show and in that question of what it means to either choose to live eternally, um, quote mm -hmm. unquote, um, or not. Um, wow. And it's not the main focus of the show, but it is an underlying current. Right. Um, but I want to go back to uh, the Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah. I think that's a great um, avenue into our next theme uh, which is that science fiction and fantasy uh, and, and probably the most popular works of science fiction and fantasy, or at least the most uh, widely popular in terms mm -hmm. of most people accessing, are ones that focus on classic stories of good versus evil. Um, and I think that it's uh, easier to kind of prop up these two distinct archetypes of good and evil in genre work because it is a degree removed from our reality um, and our, and our real reality in the world that we exist in every single day, there's kind of many degrees of experience and no one person is 100% good or 100% evil. There's a blending of things. Mm -hmm. um, but in genre work, you can be more clear in drawing these lines and creating these clear dichotomies. Um, and I also, um, as we launched into this conversation, uh, I, I see this really prevalent in our biblical tradition, particularly in the book of Revelation, mm. um, where there is, uh, I, I feel like a lot of our biblical tradition is much more rooted uh, in human experience and, and this struggle of people are good and bad at the same time. We're broken, but we also strive to be good. But the book of Revelation really draws clear, distinct lines between what is good and what is evil um, in the end of times. Um, and I think that as we start to talk about the different stories that, that are popular in this theme, 
it kind of helps illustrate why that text is favored by certain circles of Christianity. Yeah, I think especially in the Western world, the Lord of the Rings is in many ways for modern readers, sort of the archetype. It's the story that we go to. And granted, he was basing a lot of his stuff off of more ancient uh, uh, myths and stories that other people leaned into, but we don't continue to do those today. So Lord of the Rings, in my mind, is sort of the the pinnacle archetype of, of that fantasy literature that we use today. And for Tolkien, um, much of his writing was based off of his experiences, especially in World War I. Um, being in the trenches, uh, having those initial experiences of, of what really felt like evil and uh, uh, demonic forces, you know, mustard gases and Gatlin guns. And being in those trenches just felt like there was a very clear sense of <laughs> what is good and what is not. And, um, and I think he was really struggled with that. And I think that comes out in his writing of this very clear um, evil. Uh, the, the Sauron character, the creator of the ring is this purely evil character. He's sort of this, this, this flame, this never ending eye, all watching eye. Um, all the orcs are bad. All the goblins are bad. Uh, it's like this very clear distinction between what's good and what's evil. Um, but at the same time, you've got humanity stuck in the middle of that. And humanity, um, some of them lean into the good side and some of them lean into the evil side. And the question is how, especially I think in his mind, um, how do you overcome evil when it feels like there's so much of it? When it feels completely overwhelming, when you feel like what you do does not matter, uh, when you feel small and insignificant. And I think that was the story he was writing. Um, how do we overcome evil? Um, and uh, I won't jump to hope too quickly because right. you know, that's our first <laughs> theme, um, but he's, he's struggling. And I think in our experience of the world, sometimes we can pretend like there's good and not so good. Mm -hmm. We can pretend like, you know, things are just mistakes or things are slightly off. But I, sometimes I think that means we miss out that there, there is real evil, um, at least I believe, and I think the Christian tradition echoes that, that there is real evil. And I'm not, I'm not someone who would personify that in a person, as in a person is all evil or all good. But I think there are real systems in our world. And if you look, if you look at the United States today, you see the evil head of racism in particular. You see the evil head of greed um, with our response to coronavirus. You can see these, what I would just call evil uh, happening in our world. And so these stories, while they may feel like a fantasy or a science fiction, I believe they speak uniquely to situations that we find ourselves in today as Christians. Yeah, I, I think you're you're hundred percent right. Um, and I, I love the example of Lord of the Rings because it really has become prevalent and accessible in so many different venues. Um, so obviously it started out of these wonderful uh, written word and texts and, and so deep and meaty. And 
really even before it kind of became popular um, in terms of the larger canon of, of reading, uh, it kind of got a big boost in the 70s uh, from rock music. Uh, Led mm-hmm. Zeppelin, Rush, <laughs> yeah. uh, songs like Ramble On, Risen Devil, you know, The Battle of Evermore, all these different classic hard rock songs, you know, that are still prevalent to this day on classic rock radio, um, kind of brought forward these texts that were really only being read by a niche group of pretty nerdy, geeky people to a more mainstream audience. And then from there, these animated versions. um, I mean, I grew up watching the animated film of The Hobbit, (laughs) go-tos when I was a kid. Um, And then, of course, the Peter Jackson trilogy, uh, and now Amazon making a TV series of the Lord of the Rings text. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's such a, a uh, foundational piece of, of literature that has really kind of expanded across generations and all avenues because I think it does such a good job of wrestling with this question. And it's a question that, yes, as humanity, we have constantly and continually wrestled with. And as Christians, it's something that we have to face. Um, It's something that we have to acknowledge uh, and be willing to stand against. You can't just have, there's balance in creation. um, There's Mm -hmm. balance in our world. And you can't only ever look at one side. You have to recognize that there are two forces in this world and that we have to work to bring the goodness of the world out um, in face of the evils of the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I love, I feel like over time, these classic stories of good and evil, which presented such a strong binary have, especially in our modern age, become a lot more nuanced as well, um, which I think you referenced earlier that we noticed that in ourselves, we're not just one or the other. Um, and one way I really have seen this actually grow is through the, um, the, the uh, Avengers series. Yes, um, that was on my list. <laughs> <laughs> and, and really the whole superhero genre in general um, went from this really strong good versus evil uh, or really uh, a stark binary of right versus wrong And as it grew and expanded, I think it really became more nuanced. And in a way, it feels to me like growing up. Right. As a child, you have these schemas and everything fits into these neat categories. But as we grow up, we learn nuance. We learn about all of the different circumstances and um, actions that come into play that create the situations they're in that create the people that we are. And we see that motivations are much more complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I think the film for me in that run of 20 plus films that they put together through (laughs) Endgame or technically Spider-Man far from home was the coda, if you will, um, is black Panther. Um, And you have the, the quote unquote villain Killmonger who is not wrong the way he goes about what he wants to accomplish is wrong. Um, But his, what he's trying to accomplish is not wrong. Uh, And you know, it's not wrong because at the end, the back, back Panther 
does much of the things that Killmonger was hoping for. Yes. Um, and, you know, and it's unfortunate that, you know, you have to have this, this conflict in a violent way uh, between the two characters, but that's kind of an expectation of the, of the medium, if you will. Um, but it really showed how like villains can have a nuanced understanding of the world and they might be going about it in a way that's detrimental and damaging to the wider good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong. So that was, I think that was a really seminal piece of, of that understanding. And I think that kind of leads us into our last theme of today. And that's the theme of what does it mean to strive for or work towards or look for hope. Hmm. Um, and I think for us as Christians, you know, the resurrection of Christ, the, the thing that makes us Christians in our practice and in and, and our, our, the promises that we, we hold on to uh, enables something in creation. Um, and that is the ability to have hope. Um, and I think that hope is a powerful driving force that holds us together and inspires us. It challenges us and it forces us to look beyond our immediate future. Um, and you see that when we lose hope, we can kind of become mired in the muck of the world. But then when hope presents itself anew, it can change people at their core. It can bring them to a new realization about the state of their world and the creation that we exist in. And um, I want to start this conversation on hope uh, with three, three different, uh, two movies and a, and a TV show, but they're all within uh, a, a specific genre. And that's the infinite time loop genre. Hmm. Um, and so the classic, of course, is Groundhog's Day uh, <laughs> with Bill Murray uh, and some modern takes on it. And, and you know, we call it the infinite time loop, um, but really it's just Groundhog Day movies or Groundhog Day TV shows yeah. uh, because Groundhog's Day was so seminal uh, in establishing this, this world. Um, but modern takes on that have been the TV show Russian Doll on Netflix Right. A new movie that just came out on Hulu, uh, Palm Springs, just watched last night. It was enjoyable if you were into the infinite time loop thing. Okay. Um, but the sense of being stuck in one day and the importance of connection and finding hope is what allows the characters to exit these time loops. Um, and there's a moment through these sh shows and these time loops where the characters really become lost and they lose themselves and they lose hope and, become, and wow. they hit that dark bottom. Yeah. Um, but then when something happens in the story that allows them to reconnect to hope, that's when they're able to find their exit. Um, and it sh that shows how important and how powerful hope is for us as people and i think christianity then takes it one step further and gives us a a reason or a a grounding of that hope to always turn back to yes i actually just watched um 
the Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt movie, Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, yes, that's another um, one. A couple of weeks ago and was 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 thinking about that um, idea of the hopelessness, but also the hope that we find in those those loops. Mm-hmm. And for me, these are incredibly important, especially today. I heard um, on a podcast the other day, someone referred to quarantine as a Groundhog's Day. <laughs> We're in this <laughs> infinite loop of doing the same things every day in the same place. And it is so easy to lose hope. It's so easy to lose sight. And I think with a lack of hope, we also find a lack of creativity mm-hmm. um, where we can't even imagine something different or something better. And we get stuck in the ruts of the past that have brought us here. And we're not able to move forward to the future because we can't even imagine that it could get better. Um, and so the first movie that I thought of um, with hope was uh, uh, Star Wars, A New of Hope. Course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was right there in the title, so it was hard for me to miss that one. But. <laughs> As we have expanded the canon, and there's now nine movies and a whole bunch of TV shows, um, the entire thing is about hope. Mm -hmm. It's about these galactic forces of evil or of of, um, malice that want to dominate and want to destroy and want only a few to be successful. and it always starts with that small action. In the first movie, I have that image of Princess Leia leaning over and doing something to R2-D2, and then R2-D2 and C-3PO shooting off to um, Tatooine, where they eventually run into um, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker. And that hope continues even in just the smallest way as that story, as that ability grows. Um, and I have to go back, of course, to Lord of the Rings again, um, where it is literally a story of two halflings, two hobbits, the most unlikely character. They're constantly derided throughout the whole show. They're thought of as children. There's no expectations that they could be helpful or do anything in any way. Um, but it's through their 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 long suffering, through their um, great bravery that is actually able to end the evil in that world. And I'm reminded of the quote from Gandalf when he's talking to Frodo, the hobbit who's carrying the ring. And Frodo is saying, I wish I didn't live to see such a time. I wish it wasn't me that was have to carry the ring. I wish, I wish, I wish. And Gandalf says to him, so do all who live to see such times. But is that, that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And for me, that's a very Christian theme of we are here in the present. Um, You've got Matthew 7 of don't worry about tomorrow, focus on today. Um, That hope of just being present where you are, doing the work that you can, um, and believing that God's hope is moving forward. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think that, you know, I, particularly during this time of pandemic and, and you know, the 
the social media battles, if you will. And hmm. the, I think a lot of the frustration and a lot of the um, conspiracy theories and a lot of the anger that goes back and forth from both sides is because hope is missing in a lot of ways. Um, mm. There's because there's not a clear ending or a clear outcome or even a clear way of how to deal with this. Um, and that's partly or largely because of maybe a vacuum of leadership. Mm. Um, but there just isn't hope. There's not hope for what it looks like uh, a month from now, six months from now, a year from now. Um, and I think um, what's happening is people are clinging to what they think is hope, mm. um, but it's actually fear. Uh, and that's wow. what is driving um, a lot of the anger and frustration. Um, I think the, the big thing that's going to come down the pipeline soon is the decision about how and whether or not to reopen schools. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people are holding out hope, or at least they think it's hope that schools will reopen. But what I really think is, is they're holding on to fear because they don't know how to handle what's going to come. Um, and I think that's why even the decisions about this have been slow to be made is because there's a fear of the backlash. Um, and so they're holding on to what they think is hope that they will be able to reopen and everything will be fine. Um, but really that's giving into fear rather than creating hope for people. Right. Um, of, of, and I think you can only have hope when you have a clear understanding of what's coming. Um, and so I think that what, what is, what will be crucial for the future and for the next few months and years coming out of this is connecting people again to hope. Um, and, and letting people know that hope, particularly from a Christian perspective, hope is always there. Hope is always present, but we have to shed our fears and our clingings to the ways of the world as we have known it and re-embrace what hope teaches us from Christ. And I think, I think both in science fiction and in the Bible, those visions of hope are prevalent, Mm -hmm. The visions of what our future could be. Um, and one of the beautiful things about science fiction in particular is it helps us imagine what the best future could be. It also help us, helps us imagine what the worst future could be. We have these choices in our life to move towards our better selves or to move towards our worse selves. And science fiction oftentimes is the clash between those Um that good versus evil, that choice, that how do I move forward into something new? There's usually a war. There's usually some fighting factions or something like that. And I'm reminded of, of, um, of scripture of Isaiah 11, um, which is, is Isaiah's vision of the holy mountain of Yahweh, where you have um, predator and prey lying down with one another, where you have little children playing with poisonous snakes. Um, and even as I say that, I have a hard time believing that because it kind of freaks me out. <laughs> um, but you've got these images and that's what revelation is too, is this strong propaganda type image of saying, God has got this. 
You know, in the end, evil will lose. God is in control and is preparing a place, whether it's a table, a mountain, a feast, a party, a mansion, a city with no walls. Um, there's these visions that scripture gives us that I hold on to because I believe that not necessarily that that's exactly what it'll look like, but because that's what our God is, is our God is good and is moving us towards a good future. And that's what I hold my hold out hope for. Amen. I'm grateful for Dexter being able to join me today, and I want to touch on one further theme that's prevalent in science fiction and fantasy work that I think can teach the church something. Diversity of people, races, species, classes, gender, sexualities, religions, and so on is often a key element to the many stories told in science fiction and fantasy. Some of the best stories expose how the stories and understandings of a given people or othered group is ultimately misunderstood, and that it is only through working together and combining our unique and diverse talents and experiences can we unite as one to defeat the true enemy of the story, again echoing those classic tropes of good versus evil. Diversity is the key to rich worlds, deep experiences, foundational learning, growth, and understanding. Oftentimes, the lack of diversity in a community or culture is held up as a type of utopia in stories from science fiction in particular, only for the layers to be pulled back and the realization that these utopias are truly dystopias, that the lack of diversity has created oppression and the death of creativity and individuality. As Christians, it is crucial that we learn from these types of stories to understand how power structures oppress those who are made to be other than, and how our embrace of diversity is not only the right thing, but also a hugely beneficial, inspiring, and creational action that moves us out of our comfortable quote-unquote utopia that has trapped us in a place of complacency that encourages us to turn a blind eye to those who are oppressed in favor of comfortability that demands we give up our intellect in favor of one specific man-created view of the world. That is not the Christian way. And science fiction and fantasy stories can serve as a reminder of this. Thank you for joining me today for Your Neighbor, a Priest. I look forward to our next conversation at the intersections of our world and the holy, which will be coming to you on Monday, September 7th. Until then, stay home, stay healthy, mask up, be well, and God's unending, all-encompassing peace and love be with you all. <laughs>